I guess I think every type is actually acting quite logically. Like there's a consistency and a structure and a reason that they're doing what they do. And it looks fucked up to you because it's not your type. But if you can really get into what it must have been like to sort of experience a wound, to experience it over and over in a particular way and to make sense of it in a particular way, then a lot of things that kind of fall out of that become sort of like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense that you would do this. But if you really understand um, sort of this kind of deep psychological structure um, that's underlying a lot of those um, attributes and expressions, it becomes like a deeper understanding of what the type is trying to do. The Big Hormone Enneagram. Hi, I'm John Lukovic, uh, sexual self-presidential with Bioling 458 Trifix. Hi, I'm David Gray, self-pres sexual 9 with 1974 Trifix. What up, it's Emika. I'm an 8-wing 7, sexual self-pres with 854 fixes. Hi, I'm Nancy. I am a self-pres social 3-wing 4 with a If you like our podcast, guys, make sure you go like and subscribe us on the Apple Podcast app. And if you really like us, you should definitely leave us a review. Where's Nancy? She says her her laptop is dead. She's waiting for it to turn on. That's no excuse. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a good metaphor for our entire existence at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, guys. Hey. What's up? Hello. You're going to talk to us today about object relations? <laughs> Get ready to be riveted. <laughs> you're going <clears throat> to objectify us. <laughs> We're going to find ways to, to throw sexual jokes into this talk. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, I would expect nothing less. <laughs> I do think the object relations needs to be rebranded. We do, actually. We rebrand it somehow. Get people actually interested in them. We got to sex it up a little bit. Yeah, I think Fr- so. Frustration is now sexual frustration. Yes. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> sexual rejection. Sexual rejection. No. And sexual attachment. attachment. I am suddenly very interested in this topic. <laughs> <laughs> this is how we get people into the Enneagram, people. This is how it's this done. Is, this is how we get you into the Enneagram. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I... um got introduced to the Enneagram after I was already married. So if you're dating someone, when do you introduce the Enneagram as like a concept? Immediately. It's the pickup line. <laughs> well, not the pickup line, but <laughs> first date. For, for some of us, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it gotta... explains a lot, David. That really yeah. explains a lot. Uh... <laughs> Welcome to Big Hormone Enneagram Cali Edition. I'm John, and I'm in California in Santee Barbary, and uh, it is lit as hell. And um, I have my friend Courtney here that I'm hanging out with and uh, wanted to bring her on because she and I have been working on uh, Enneagram stuff, and uh, Courtney's just had really brilliant insights and object relations that I thought were super clarifying and really precise language and has helped me personally to 
distinguish the object relations, uh, which are attachment, frustration, and rejection, and these underlying psychological dynamics that are a huge feature of the type. So welcome, Courtney, and please introduce yourself however, you, however you'd like. Uh, yes, yeah, so hi. Um, okay. Courtney Smith. Uh, I'm <laughs> <laughs> got to rehearse the name. <laughs> uh, I live in Santa Barbara. Um, I've done like four or five different things. Most recently, I guess, reproductive rights activism. Uh, I just moved my family out here and um, have taken a pause on that as we get settled. I'm a six with a three, one, six, five wing and lead social. I don't know if John and I, John, do you have an opinion? This is very six too. Do you have an opinion on what's number two? I suspect social self-prize. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like my current diagnosis. All right, we can go with that. All right. Do you want to, do you want to say anything about like, um, I don't know, where people can find you, like if you want people to find you or if you just want to remain anonymous or? Like uh, he's talking about like your work, not just your house. <laughs> <laughs> if someone wanted to find me, they could contact John. Okay, cool. I couldn't remember. Have you guys done a whole dedicated thing on object relations before, or has it just been kind of like snuck in? We have not. Yes, like okay. The the this this topic rests fully on your shoulders, so no pressure. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and if people don't get it, it's your fault. Yeah. One thousand (laughs) percent. Now I don't really fully understand what object relations means. Courtney, what are object relations? I don't really like the name, and maybe John can talk about it from the perspective of the name, but the way that I think about it is to the extent that we all come into this world with a type, there's a certain kind of wound um, or like miss between parent and child that each type is going to be sort of predisposed to identify with and kind of have it create a crisis. And the reality is that like, even if you're in a good parenting, like childhood environment, even with really good parents, they're missing you kind of like right and left. And that's actually like perfectly okay. And it's like just sort of the way it all is. But each type is going to take a particular kind of miss and they're going to identify with it. And then they're going to try to deal with it in a certain way. Any comments before I keep going? Well, I think that's a really excellent way of framing it. And I think uh, like, different from how it's typically, how I've seen it typically described. But one of the things that um, Don Riso and, and, and Russ uh, put together based on, I believe it was their influence from Almas was that um, specific types are characterized by a dominant dynamic or a dominant wound. And that there are three basic affects or emotional dynamics that these what are called object relations are constellated around and uh, attachment, rejection, or frustration. And each type experiences attachment, rejection, or frustration more, uh, you could say like a dominant affect and predominantly with one, like the protective function, which is usually sort of, you know, described as the father figure, the one that helps you, um, the parental function that helps you like learn how to create structure and uh, create guidance knowing how to, how to function independently and what's often called the nurturing function, which is sort of, you know, associated with the mothering figure, but it's being loved, feeling seen for who you are, being held. And you can have the, like, d- different types have d- 
dynamics with both functions. Some have a, a function that, or have a dynamic that most uh, is in relation to the nurturing function or the protecting function. So these are really super powerful in getting a fairly, I would say, like objective or at least impartial view of the kind of wounding and the kind of uh, repertoire of emotions and, and reactions that we have as each type. But also, like, I think that they're another way of talk. They're, they're more of like a, a grounded psychological way of talking about the same thing that the passions are talking about with each type. And so from my perspective, one of the reasons that they're important is in some ways your relationship with your mother and your father or whomever is taking care of you. That's sort of the one of the first primary ways that your type has to sort of live on this world and how personality um, becomes the evolution or the identification of type like as, as you sit as a human being. So the reason that the early wounds that you suffer as a child that we all experience as children, the reason that some of those are important is because the affect or response that you have to that wound then becomes almost like an organizing principle through which your personality becomes expressed. And it sort of becomes like one of the things that I get sort of annoyed about, like with the Enneagram books, right? So you get like, you get these like lists of attributes of like all the different types. And it feels like in order to understand a type, you need to like memorize the list. And I guess my thought is that if you really understand um, sort of this kind of deep psychological structure um, that's underlying a lot of those um, attributes and expressions, it becomes like a deeper understanding of what the type is trying to do. And the logic of, the, I, I guess I think every type is actually acting quite logically. Like there's a consistency and a structure and a reason that they're doing what they do. And it looks fucked up to you because it's not your type. But if you can really get into what it must have been like to sort of experience a wound, to experience it over and over in a particular way, and to make sense of it in a particular way, then a lot of things that kind of fall out of that become sort of like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense that you would do this. Um, if you're sort of, the way, you're, if the way you've understood reality and the way you've understood relationships is this. Also add that Courtney is a mom and has also studied a lot of early childhood psychology. And so uh, I found her um, ability to bring that in and synthesize it with the Enneagram was really uh, useful and illuminating. And I thought the, her, her, her capacity for language was really good, uh, especially from that point of view. I really like what you said about books focusing on traits and list of traits as not really getting the full picture of what a type is about. And a type is about psychological dynamics. And I, I feel like more people need to hear that. And sometimes people fixate on certain traits. It's like, oh, so if an eight does this, or if a seven does this, then, or if you do, if you uh, express this and that's what that means, but it's like, you, you're not really, if people understand the underlying reason for what that type is trying to do what they're trying to get out of it then you can start to understand all the different ways that no description could describe how that type might show up like if you understand what they're trying to do then you know you can spot it even though no no book or no description has actually described that particular behavior um if you know where it's coming from it's like uh understanding the illness versus just stating the symptoms there you go absolutely yeah, and I think it creates a lot more capacity for empathy and compassion for yourself and whatever you're doing in your own kind of fucked up way, but also um, for other people. It becomes easier to almost embody them mm -hmm. uh, 
as opposed to like a list of like qualities that they have. And a list is not very deep either. It doesn't really, um, it's pretty static. It doesn't really have the ability to grow and move if someone gives you a list of things. But if you understand like, oh, this is, this is like the kernel of why these lists or this list of behaviors might arise, could arise from, then you can actually like create your own list. You know, that's also applicable. Well, it's like, it's like when people are like, oh, four is the sensitive type. And then we know how that has ruined so much because, you know, everybody's sensitive to some degree or another, and everybody has their own interpretation of what that word means. And, you know, if we want to talk about sensitive in like a general way, like nine is the sensitive type, but then there's other kinds of sensitivity. And so it's like language and lists and traits are a problem because they're so up for interpretation. Mm-hmm. And so um, you need to have a felt sense of each type. And the only way to do that is to start to empathize with each type and feel like, as Courtney was saying, like the wound and, and imagining this wound being played out, you know, a thousand times a day. The other thing I want to say, just, I don't know if you know, I, I've done a lot of reading because I'm a mom and I'm very interested in all of this. And I've done a lot of my own sort of discovery and psychology, but I'm not a trained clinician or psychologist or anything like that. I think like one other thing that I think about before we like get into sort of like the, what actually each type is and what's going on. I think the other thing that happens in some of the books that I also really resist is they'll be like, well, you know, Joe's father was an alcoholic and that's why he became a one, you know, like this sort of like trying to look at the childhood experience and have that be evidence Mm -hmm. for what particular type you are. Mm -hmm. And I think actually like there's good parenting and bad parenting and it, of course that really matters, but I don't think it matters in terms of what type you become. Absolutely. Yeah. The reality is any parenting sort of environment, there's enough um, fuck ups small, some small, some big, some medium, whatever, like to create any type. And it's the essence that you're coming into this world with that causes you to fixate and pay attention to certain kinds of wounds. That's what's, that's, what's creating the type as opposed to the parenting environment itself. Yeah. Well said. Uh, anything else before we all get into it? Where, how does this, um, fit in with being born with your type? Is there a way to talk about that? I mean, to elaborate on my own question, I mean, to me, it's, it's that you're, as a child, you're creating the dynamic almost. No? I mean, where do you guys, where are you on that, Courtney? I, I don't know if the word is dynamic, but I definitely think that, you know, like, it's, it's kind of like abstract. So like, let's just talk about like a specific like example, like you're a baby, you're like on the changing table, like you're smiling and cooing and like whatever. Sounds and your great. Mom's- Yeah. And your mom's checking her phone. Right. And you're like looking for eye contact and you're looking for someone to sort of like acknowledge you're having a good time. And she's just looking at your phone. Now, like some babies, like whatever, they just like look at something else or they wait for the mom or they like there's a rattle or like it doesn't register. It has no significance for them. It's like, yep, she wasn't paying attention. And I just continue right along. But for another particular type, there's going to be meaning attributed to the fact that she's not meeting you. And I, I do agree with you. Like I'm now I've done like a lot of thinking about the object relation stuff. And I think that there's obviously a lot more thinking that could be done, 
but I feel like one next kind of like place to apply it, and it would be really cool to talk with people about it, is as exactly as you're saying, like if this is the type of wound that you identify with as a six or a five or a four, and we assume that's because of some sort of essence that you're kind of coming into this world with, what's the connection between the two? Um, and the thing about that is that it forces you to be really clear on what the wound is, and it also forces you to be really clear about what the essence quality is. And then, only then can you begin to like really, I think, understand the connection. And I think there is one. I just don't know if I know, just to me, that's like a really big, interesting topic that I wanna think a lot more about in the future. Starts to get into the territory of you as an essence, pre-designing where you're gonna land. Are you talking like uh, almost like we in in a, in a simpler way of saying? It, are you almost talking about like we set ourselves up for the lessons we got to learn or something like that? In Some, life? Something like that, or set or or at least like a karma, or or at least set ourselves up to play out the dynamic of the object relation of the type that we're coming into the world as. If we're yeah. if we are born with our type, right? I think yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like inevitable. Right. Yeah. So I think, I think should we get we into sh- like the details of it. I think we should get into it. And, yeah. and, um, you know, like what an object relation is, is the relation between, um, it's a dynamic that becomes the blueprint or the template for how we as subjects are, in, or, you know, experience ourselves and experience the world. And we experience a self-concept or a self-image. So it's not like a literal image of ourselves, but it's like a felt sense of ourselves. And mm-hmm. we experience a object image that was originally based on our experience of our early parental figures and environment. And so there's this unconscious felt self-image and an unconscious felt object image. It's like we sometimes we project this onto individual people, but we also project it onto the world at large. And then between ourselves, uh, our su- the subject image and the object image is a familiar affect. And so it's kind of like an emotional constellation. And as we've described on other calls, you know, attachment, rejection, and frustration are the, are the names given to these affects. And as I said before, the object, the psychological object, is related to in terms of protecting as a protective function and a nurturing function. and um, is there anything more you want to say on that, Courtney? I mean, yeah, I think that I think that's all like summarizing it really well. Again, like, and this is just like me being a six, like it's super tempting, I think, right, to like make this like grid of like, you know, is this mm-hmm. a rejection type? Is it, you know, are they dealing with like the you know, the guidance function or the nurturing function? Are they dealing with both? And you and it is like a helpful shortcut, I suppose, like to sort of like under like to like have a cursory, oh, that's a frustration type. Um, so I think when we talk about it, like it is just, it's a, it's a label because we have to label it with something because of language. But I think as we get into it, I think it's also to like, what does that actually mean? Mm-hmm. And what does that actually feel like? And then I think you can actually examine sort of, especially in the ta- attachment area, which is as a six, the one that I had to like come to last in terms of like trying to understand it. But in some ways, I think it, once I thought I understood what was going on, made the most sense to me. It's also, you can sort of start to see patterns and habits across that particular affect. 
like what all the attachment types are doing, yes. what all the frustration types are doing, what all the rejection types are doing. Yeah. And I, I think for that reason, uh, like, I mean, when we went through it together, starting with frustration and going rejection and then attachment last, uh, make the most, makes the most sense because it sets up the clearest contrast. And I think just also, again, and this is just like literally the exercise I did, like after talking with John and doing this like grid and then being like, Hey, I've made this grid and it's gotten me nowhere. I don't understand anything better. As John said, parents are doing like all kinds of things, but you can sort of broadly categorize, you know, when they miss a kid, are they missing? Like, does, is the kid not feeling seen or feeling unconditional love, which would be like what the shorthand we're calling the nurturing function. Um, or is the kid not feeling uh, supported uh, in their ability to function in this world, given confidence that they can know what they want, that they can execute on it, uh, that they're a force who can take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would be the support function. Mm-hmm. And for me, I had to like get kind of almost like childlike about like, what is that like, so that I could really feel it. And like for That's the nurturing like function, like I really like, as I said before, like imagined a baby like on his or her back, like looking up and smiling and either the mom smiles back and like looks the baby in the eye or she doesn't. Mm-hmm. And that's like, to me, like the, um, the, the kind of the simplest sort of embodiment of what it means to feel seen and unconditionally loved. And on the support or guidance function, you know, it, cause I think this happens later. Um, it's like a little one-year-old, like a toddler who's like finally gotten up on their like feet and they like see a toy or whatever that's across the room. And they start trying to like walk over to the toy and they're not, they, you know, they don't trust their feet. They're not stable. And they're trying to like figure out if they're going to be able to do it. And they look up and like, you know, their father is there sort of like with his arms outstretched, like saying, you can do this go for that toy and either they do that or they don't. Mm -hmm. And so then if you can like really kind of like, obviously there's all kinds of different, that's just like one example, but I think like imagining what does it feel like to try to, to look up and smile and not be seen back or to try to like walk for the toy, don't think you can do it and have no one around to tell you that you can, what is, what happens to you if that happens thousands and thousands of times and you find that, you experience that as a crisis. And across the types, you can identify with the, the misses on the nurturing side, the misses on the support side, the guidance side, or both. And so that's one, of the, that's one of the flavors. And then as John was saying, how you make sense of that, what becomes the emotional kind of affect or response to that miss can either be frustration, rejection, or attachment. Yeah. Can you say more about that word miss, what you're meaning there? Well, I guess I, for me, like, again, this like goes back to like the way I think it's understood and written in books and also sort of my experience being a parent and actually like being like an adult, like these aren't like horrible things that are happening almost all the time. You know, it's not like neglect, you know, I mean, obviously Mm -hmm. that does happen, but the reason I call it because it's so unintentional and seemingly right. so benign. He or she doesn't happen to meet you exactly at the moment that you want to be met in mm-hmm. that certain way. 
Um, and that's like basically part of the human condition, right? And so it's like, that's built into relationships. Um, and so just sort of emphasizing that there's, there's nothing you can do about it and to not judge it um, for happening um, in between any parent and child. It's, it's inevitable, as you were describing earlier, and inevitable that a child will attach and find, give meaning to it in a way that the act itself was never, the miss itself was never meant to have. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, so you you want to go through the types? Yeah, let's do it. Should we do yeah. frustration? Yeah, let's uh let's start with seven because it'll what'll that'll do is set up like the different functions as we go seven, one, and then four. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, perfect. Cool. Any anything, Emeka or Nancy, before we go? Oh, that's good. Might cool. be the quietest I've ever heard you. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little shocking. <laughs> No, this is there's a lot that I'm thinking of. This is uh it's just very clear to explain those things in that in that way. Like I can actually picture it and feel it. And so it's it's just bringing up a lot of thoughts in terms of uh kind of like opening it up for me. We got a mental type on the call, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so seven. So and again, like when I talk about like what frustration and rejection and attachment are, I also like am deliberately using kind of childish, like baby-like, childlike babyish kind of words, because I think that's also important um, because the way that they're going to make sense of this is, is very childlike. It's going to be overly simplistic in some ways, right? Because they're a baby. Um, and so like, feeling the hurt and the wound and feeling the clumsiness that w- with which we all try to kind of deal with it. I think you really get a sense of that when you use kind of, you don't use fancy language to talk about what's happening. Mm. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, okay. So the seven um, sitting there um, looking up at the table, looking up for a smile from his mom. She, he's smiling. The mom is like busy changing his diaper misses it and this child says you didn't see me and is pissed off about it but also says very quietly to himself and you never will Mm -hmm. and I am so sad and frustrated that this I'm never going to be seen Mm -hmm. and there's an immense and I'm going to have to do it myself I guess I'm going to have to do this myself Uh, and so what starts out as a sadness that a parent has missed them, becomes this deep sort of resignation and frustration with the state of the world that the function that they're hoping their parent will provide for them, they now feel they have to do all on their own. And so, uh, you know, seven is, is a mental type. And, and so we normally associate this, this need to be seen with, with the image types. And so how, like, how, do, you, how do you reconcile that, that, that didn't see me? with being a mental type? Well, so I think what's happening is, and this is what it means about kind of being like childlike or babyish. If you have to see yourself as a very tiny child and actually the gift that you have is mental capacity, you're going to lean into that as a way to do it mm-hmm. because that's really all you have. Mm-hmm. And that's of course not the way you do actually see yourself. You know, you have, you just sort of sit with yourself and you just allow yourself to be. But if you've got no modeling and no sort of understanding of how to do that, you lean on what you can. Um, you lean on what you have. Uh, and for the seven, that's their sort of, 
I, I can see myself when I'm happy. I can see myself when I feel good, but I can't see myself in pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for, for listeners, like the way that the seven is normally described as a frustration type, frustrated with the nurturing function. And, and there's a, so the response is, okay, I didn't get the nurturing I needed. So I'm going to go out and get it myself. And, um, you know, what, what gluttony is the passion of the seven is this sense of trying to go and get it myself, but not because of what Courtney was just saying, there's a lack of seeing, there's a lack of guidance or recognizing what would actually satisfy me. So the seven's propelled to like, just try a bunch of different things. Maybe it's that, maybe it's that, maybe it's the next thing. Maybe it's the thing that I'm coming doing tomorrow. Isn't one way to extend going further from mother as nurturer? Mother is also, and I'm and I'm staying in seven space here. Mother's also the yummy stuff, right? Mother is a yummy body, right? Mm-hmm. Mother is the sensual love object, right? And the breasts, right? And the and so the seven's kind of looking for a new sweet milk out there, right? I have to get it. I have to get it. I have to go out there and get it myself, right? I have to, because all the yummy, all the yummy sensual stuff, right? Is partly what mother is too. Totally. All the nipples. Yeah. (laughs) But I almost like think of it also, it's like sort of like, and this is the mental type. And I feel like I can say this because I am a mental type. It's a little bit like a robot being given directions on like, how do I see myself? And it's like, I do this, like, I just keep going. And I, you know, there's no sort of, I sit and feel it, you know, and just sit with right. it. Mm, yeah. True. It's a really, that the robot analogy, that's pretty interesting, especially given seven, that's, you know, six and five can kind of get like, that association is a little bit more natural or apparent, mm-hmm. you know, like for seven that, you know, Sometimes people, I think even Courtney, you were saying like sometimes the seven doesn't even seem like a mental type, but like when you when you put it that way, it's like you can there is a roboticness because it's like this program playing out. And because they're a robot, they're actually never going to actually feel it, right? I mean, at least as how the personality right. is in operation. So it's like the 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 command is just going to keep going and going because it's mm-hmm. a robot, right? You know, mm-hmm. it actually can't feel itself in the form of person and in the form of the way the personality is being expressed. It's set up to fail. Right. Anything else about seven? Y'all? No. I've just Not at this juncture. Heard, no, I've never <laughs> heard of a seven described as a robot, really. So that was, that was, that's interesting. Yeah. Any, anything else on seven, Courtney? No, but, and I also just like, I'm happy to like, have you disagree or have you like say, I don't know. I don't know, but I don't know if I buy that or like what, I mean, we'll, seriously. We'll talk shit. We'll talk shit after, but not while you're on the call. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll talk about you behind your back. I'll talk we'll... shit while you're on the call. I, I, disagree. <laughs> I disagree with everything you're saying. So <laughs> uh, also, you know, I'm a sick, right? So I need like pressure back. Uh, don't worry. I'll, to, like, I'll give it to you. Okay. To push my own thinking. Like, so sucks <laughs> <laughs> it's horrible <laughs> just what i needed <laughs> all right uh one yeah let's do one all right okay all right let me actually before you get in your thing i'll do the more like what's more familiar you know like yeah so like uh and then you can blow it open um but uh yeah so the one is is described also 
seven, one of four are frustration types. And so if seven is frustrated with the nurturing function, the idea is that one is a body type that is frustrated with the protective function or the uh, structure making function. And the idea is that they're frustrated. And so they didn't get the guidance. They didn't get the structure that they wanted or needed. And so there's a sense of like, well, fuck it, I'm going to do it myself. And so, uh, you know, the, the, the anger, the passion of anger of the one is actually really, it's a frustration that things are not as they should be. And one of the things that's interesting about this for ones is that ones think that they're being very objective, like that they see how things ought to be, but really they're basically responding to like the kind of structure that they need or want. Um, so there's this confusion of objectivity and subjectivity, but, but yeah, it's this underlying frustration, um, that's directed at a different function than seven, but you can see that there, the, the line between seven and one has this theme of frustration going on. And I think also similarly, like how I was talking about with the seven, the one is basically trying to understand the principles through which life should be lived, how you function, right? Like, like, how do, what do I want? How do I do it? How would other people, how should other people act? Like, what's the, what, what are the rules here? And because that has, because they've decided at a very, very early age that they're going to figure this out on their own, they are now relying on their strength of being a body type to actually determine what are really sort of abstract concepts around like rules and behaviors. But it's being like, actually, they don't talk about it that way, but it's being like sort of, it's a felt, a felt sense of like, this is the right thing. This is the wrong thing. You know, what creates integrity? What are the things to live by? But it's, it has like fancy language, but it's actually really being driven by a, a body sense of it um, because that's, that's where they went to try to figure it out on their own. Mm-hmm. A body sense of already knowing how everything should be done. Exactly. That's really interesting because I, I, um, I hadn't thought of type one as as a body type. I have a sense of okay, this this is where things are supposed to go. You got to move this person here, blah blah blah. You can make this happen. And I never thought about like ones having a sense of sort of right and wrong through the body. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> we yeah, that I mean that that right and wrong through the body is is about boundaries. You know, it's like. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the things that are good are what I allow myself to incorporate, you know, and that's based on instinct. So it's like, like if, like, especially with like self-pres one, it's like, oh, I only eat organic, you know? So like, that's like those like organic food has the clear to like be incorporated or mm-hmm. like, I only like my, my sexual partners or sexual relationships are like this. And so those have the green light to be like incorporated in my boundaries or this group or these people or this whatever this organization is like good so it's got the green light for me to be affiliated with it or feel connected and the bad thing you know it's like this confusion of instinctual regulation and uh like some sense of objective uh right and wrong yeah it just clicked for me like you know i have a uh, like a body sense of things that have potential to for action or you know just leverage points or something like that and just like i ha- i just have a, a sense for that and so just it clicked for me that ones have a sense for what has integrity to them like that sense of good and bad 
And I just, I never put that together <laughs> until now. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I have this one fix that I've only like recently discovered through talking with John, but I also sort of feel like it's almost like, what are the things that make me sit up straighter? Those <laughs> things are, those things are good. And it, <laughs> It's a yeah. good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And anything that makes me crumple or just kind of wilt, like, no, not good. <laughs> not. <laughs> it's like for me, if I put on a shirt and I feel like, oh, I'm larger than life. This is the earth. <laughs> so, and they'll have a lot of principles and reasons behind it. But I really think that a lot of it is like, how does this, do? how do I stand? when I eat organic food or what, you know, whatever, like, how does this make, how do I register my body Yeah. when this is, and if it makes me feel aligned, huh. basically in integrity with my own body. Yes. Right. And a lot wow. of that mental stuff is like mental catch up to justify or explain the uprightness or not. Yeah. Like a lot of, a lot of th- ones often think that they're mental types you know, because they spend so much time thinking about right and wrong and rationalizing and stuff. But it's like the mental center often getting like part of what makes one so opaque is that the mental center is all tied up in the body center. It's all tied up in rationalizing, creating narratives around the right and wrong thing rather than the right and wrong thing just like happening through the body, but then the mind still being available, like the mind gets co-opted. And so, um, so yeah, it's like it's it's this fascinating thing of uh, of the of the use of centers. Yeah, that's a really good insight for me. Like the sense, the physical sense of alignment, and its permanence too. It's like one is it's looking for the eternal way that everybody's supposed to eat organic food, right? <laughs> and it and they always they always should have done it that way for thousands of years, and they need to keep doing it the way I do it for thousands of years. I'm exaggerating, right? But I mean, you know what I mean? It's yeah, that yeah. kind of it's that solidity of the gut, right? It's that low center of gravity of the body, of that permanence of principle. And huh. I mean, the way you put that too, like the thousands of years, it gets into that nine cosmic all connection thing in next sure. door. Yeah. But, so but, I, but but uh, but to me the, the gut is all that, but that's another conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you even really got into the one, uh, like the mm, wound. True. Yeah. All right. So the, the girl is standing. Uh, she lets go of the couch. She's got her truck. Cause I'm going to like defy gender or whatever that she really wants over there. <laughs> and she's taking these like first hesitant, like steps on her feet. And she really wants that truck. And she's afraid she's going to fall. And she looks up and she's looking for someone to catch her or she's looking for someone to outstretch their arms or she's looking for her dad to say, you can do this, go get that truck. And there's no one there. And she says, there's no one here to help me figure this out. And there never will be. I'm going to have to do this myself. Is the never will be, is that part of frustration or is never will be kind of go with all of them? The reason for me that never will be like was really, really important. And there are frustration types on the call so they can weigh in or not. But for me, skipping to the frustration, I actually think that there's, and this is like one of the things I would think that frustration types should spend more time with. I think there's tremendous sadness that's 
actually happening first before the frustration kind of takes over. And it's almost like the frustration is trying to hide. And I think the four is probably the most in touch with the sadness um, and the, the chronic disappointment. Um, but I think that it's actually there and weighs quite heavily on the seven and the one in a way that they don't really talk and acknowledge. So similar follow-up question is frustration, a response to sadness, and then the other like rejection and attachment, it's going to be some other emotion, not as opposed to sadness. So I think that's a really interesting question. I, I, I think like what you're going to see is each one of them kind of gives up on the relationship or not in different ways. And the frustration type is basically the one that's kind of like giving up on the relationship earliest. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so the, yeah. So the other types are doing something different. They're not giving up on it. I don't mm. think. And, but I think the frustration type is. Mm-hmm. To uh, some of what you're saying, Courtney, about like the grief or sadness, like, I th- yeah, I think grief is probably the word uh, that I would use. And, like I definitely, you know, that's kind of in a cliched way. Like I think sevens gets sevens get stereotyped as not being able to feel deep feelings. And I know that we just talked about them as robots. So I'm going to contradict myself, <laughs> but um, you know, sevens feel a lot and they're very sensitive, but they like the way I always put it when I'm teaching is that they, you know, they're, they, they can deal with sadness, but they can't, it's hard for them to deal with feelings that are, I would call like limiting emotions. So like, something like grief, you can't really just get over. Like it has to run its course. And like, if you're sad, you can kind of cheer yourself up and distract yourself. Um, but grief, like if you've ever really grieved for somebody, it, it runs its course and you can't hurry it along. Like you have to go abide by its pace. And so those kinds of, uh, heavy feelings, um, I think that's what seven tries to jump out of and they try to avoid confronting. And um, and likewise, as, as, you know, Courtney is alluding to, it's like the, the anger, the passion of the one is really it's grief and it's almost like grief, but, and, and one's often that when they're starting to, when they're starting to grow past some of their habitual patterns, get in touch with the sense of grief and, and grieving something, the loss of something sacred usually. And anger is a way to charge oneself up because it's like I can either collapse and go to four or I can like get fucking pissed off and try to like fix this shit. And when the type one's ego project starts to fail and it's like they're really seeing that they're not doing anything better by being all angry, like then they usually do collapse into this like bottomless well of grief. I think that's why the stakes are so high too because um, you know, when you think about sort of the one and this felt sense of integrity, but they also have it for the, like, they are sort of, it's a fallen world, basically, from their perspective. Mm. Um, and the grief in some ways is that. And because of that, it, it, you know, you can try all you want. You can, you know, march, agitate, whatever you do, like from, a, from an ideals perspective. But the reality is that it will always be a fallen world. and that is the part of the one that grief 
that I think they want to hold a little bit at because it's like, well, then why, why even bother doing this? Um, right. What's the point? Um, so it's being able to still sort of to experience and sort of hold the grief, the, the idea that there's always going to be suffering. There's always going to be things that are, could, could be done better and have tremendous cost for not being done well. Um, to be in touch with that and still want things to change. Right. Anything else y'all on one? No, that's good. Cool. Um, yeah, let's, uh, let's go to, uh, four. So four is frustration type, uh, but they are frustrated both with the nurturing function and the protective function. So the idea is that nobody fucking saw me and nobody showed me how to function. So I can't function and I am going to see myself. I'm going to figure out who and what I am because fuck y'all couldn't do it. And, um, you know, it's part of, uh, what gets lost often is that how much this, there's this frustration and anger in for it's this agitated pushing away from the outside because both of those functions that are supposed to come from the outside failed me and so i'm i'm to deal with it the four goes to introspection and over individuation and so it's like uh you know fours would rather be themselves or they'd rather you know die than not be themselves you know but but what being myself means and how I find that gets really confusing for the four and overwhelming. But envy, and uh, Courtney actually used this phrase before with the one and talking about frustration, uh, envy is basically chronic disappointment. Like everything has disappointed me. Everything fails me. And even myself fails me. And so I'm push. like I always think of uh, the way I describe four is like I'm pushing away from the surface of things, right? Like, because the essential quality of four is depth. And so the surface, therefore, looks artificial and empty. And because as a kid or whatever, as in, in this object relational dynamic, uh, it never gave me anything. It could never provide anything real. So I like, it seems like if this can't provide anything real, then at least maybe abiding by something on the inside, can, can, I can find something real there. Yeah, and I think it provides like a really nice contrast actually to seven because I actually think the nurturing function is, you know, happens earlier than the support or guidance function. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you picture this both the seven and the four um, lying on their back, you know, mom misses them and they say, you didn't see me and you never will. And the seven, because they end up feeling less identified and more kind of confident or like take for granted their ability to function in the world, that becomes the way through which they deal with the lack of being seen. They rely upon action, right? And their ability to, you know, just be in the world. The four, they're trying to walk and get the truck and the dad is at his desk or whatever, not paying attention. And so they don't have that to rely upon to help figure out on their own how to develop a sense of self. They basically have to do it not in this world because they, don't, they weren't taught how to be in this world. And so that's why I think 
the sort of the way that the four kind of develops their sense of self, which is almost by sort of like keeping the world at arm's length. And not only keeping the world at arm's length, but being like, I don't know how to exist out here. <laughs> and I've just already set it up that like by definition, the only way I can define myself is not by being not in the world. Yeah. And so now I don't, I don't even like feel very good doing this. I don't feel very good like functioning. And not only do I not feel very good trying to figure this out, it's got a big cost for me because I'm going to end up losing myself mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I've, the only way I know to how to define myself is by staying out of it. And being not like the world and not like other people. Right. So it's like the four doesn't, there's nothing in the world for the four. <laughs> right. No. Totally. No one, no that one's was, gonna see me, and I can't do anything. And that was and not, proven at a very young age. And, and not only, not only is there nothing in the world for me, it will destroy me potentially. Right, uh, like it's gonna, it's gonna degrade or take away or strip me of the thing that's precious to me and my connection to like what's real. And it's like every second spent like doing taxes or something like that is it feels like some way that I'm, I'm giving up on like the only precious thing that I experience in life. Damn. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, it's intense. Hug a four today. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag check on your fours. (laughs) Definitely don't hug them. Just like, you know, like, Like, like they would let you hug them. (laughs) Yeah, just like, you know, you can gently touch their shoulder, you know. Like, John, for you, like, being a four, when we kind of talk about it this way, is there anything that helps you see yourself more clearly or understand it in a different, slightly different way? Or certain language that you're like, yeah, that really resonates with me? Like, anything Um, about what we're, we're, how we're talking about it that feels different to you, but also helpful? I think just the clarity of seeing it in these terms, because, you know, the way that, you know, being, being for speaking is for, um, <laughs> there's sort of an, uh, I would say like a, a mythologizing or poeticizing of the wound, right? Like framing it aesthetically. And I think in some ways that that brings a certain kind of clarity, or at least like, like it transmits the quality of the wound. But I don't think it always elucidates the nature of it. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Mm-hmm. And so, like, I found it just, um, there, there's a couple things that, like, like, like your phrase, like, the frustration types giving up on the relationship the earliest. Or the frustration types, in contrast, as we'll get into later with the rejection attachment, like, having a sense of what they needed more clearly than the rejection and attachment. Like these kinds of things feel real. There's a way to put it. I have noticed since talking about it in these terms, how quickly I do think that the relationship, whether it's like, you know, with myself in the world or with other people or with Laria or whoever, like there's a place I go to where I, where I give up on it real fast. And I go to frustration because that thing has failed. And, and seeing the speed with which I'm assuming that the, that the relationship has failed or, or um, unable to provide, or I have to get this myself, or like, like 
somehow it's it's like I'm seeing how I am turning my back on others or turning my back on the world or turning my back on my own possibility so quickly because I think this early life sense of like the relationship failed and that's what I can expect from now fucking on uh, is so automatic that I, I go to that place so quickly that it ends up that I am betraying or giving up on or assuming that the relationship or, or the connection is dead. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's really interesting. What you said there is interesting too about 147 possibly having a, uh, a more clear sense of what they actually wanted, maybe. Yeah. So, that's interesting. I mean, these types all suck or whatever, but yeah, like those three are the, <laughs> those three types are, are the ones that are the most willing to say to mom and dad, you did not do your job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. right. They may not do it now, like as an adult, but that's what they were thinking. Mm-hmm. And that's why they leave earliest. The right? spirit so of there's, them. Yeah. yeah. So there's more violence. There's more confrontation, a willingness to confront more expectation. I mean, one of the feelings it translates into is hopelessness. Like, I don't know, I don't know what the, uh, for the other types, I, like, I don't know the felt sense experience, but this, like, this thing of giving up on the relationship the earliest, it's like, leads to a, just a fundamental sense of hopelessness, you know, like, that I think that one and seven spend more time trying to kind of can combat against their own sense of hopelessness. Like, ho- ones are, in a sense, hopeful in reaction to their actually deep-seated hopelessness but that four gets really identified with the hopelessness or ones are creating something quote-unquote objective right yeah well like 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 they're they're creating but they're like there's a hope in one and seven that like i'll get the thing that i want or like Mm -hmm. like you know the one it's like this this will work out or like i'm gonna i'm gonna fix it or and then the seven's like i'm gonna get the next thing and then the four's like oh you you can kill this you know Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just gonna kill myself <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is terrible do you guys like wind up toy better than robot for seven a wind up that's, toy that's not bad yeah. yeah yeah okay yeah i could see that right because that gives you more of the quality that i'm talking about right the like right. i get i get what you're saying mm-hmm. just gonna keep going yep and even if i run into a wall i'm just gonna <laughs> keep going a roomba that's funny i think we should get on to the to the rejection types okay the eights yeah do a little spiel do do you want to be conventional john yeah (laughs) actually you know since we're doing things very unconventional and having a reaction and going straight conventional (laughs) Um, so five eight and two are rejection types so eights are rejection and the idea is that they reject the nurturing function and i think um i'll be pretty brief with this because i think courtney has a much better way of articulating what that actually means but as it results in the personality type what you get is somebody who um who tries therefore to uh embody or provide in a sense like identify with the protecting function so they reject they, they feel that the the qualities that the nurturing function was supposed to see and embrace in them were somehow not seen or embraced. And so they reject it in themselves. It's like they self amputate and all three rejection types have some sense of self amputation. 
there's this there's a way that there's some part of myself was rejected and so i reject and in the case of at least two and eight they then identify or take on the role of the opposite functions in the case of eight nurturing function like that part of me was rejected so identify and provide the protecting function and also with the rejection types what you get is um all three tend to really provide a lot of energy that, that in the flavor of their dominant center. So eights tend to provide the most overt body energy, twos provide the most overt heart energy, and fives present the most overt mental energy. Yeah, so the, the eight, the little baby sitting on the, the changing table, whatever, like looks up, smiles, like tries to make eye contact with his mom, and his mom just doesn't see him, like too busy doing something else. And the baby says, you didn't see me. And you're right. I don't need to be seen. Damn. I agree. And this self-amputation that John is talking about, it's almost like the eight says, I cannot bear to feel the wound of you continuing to not see me. I choose to self-amputate that part of my body altogether. I would rather suffer that wound than the wound of you failing to see me over and over again. Damn. <laughs> what's, what is, what's being amputated? Is it heart? Or... Yes. No. Yes. The, the, need, the need to be seen. Oh. <laughs> what's um, fascinating about this to me is the agreement. Yeah, well, I, mm -hmm. I don't know if I would use the word agreement, but it's almost like I like not allowing yourself to feel that hurt by cutting off the part that was that could feel the hurt. So it's like you somebody stabbed me, um, stabbed me in the arm. I just cut the arm off <laughs> instead of having to feel your arm being stabbed again. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, you can't hurt me because I'm just going to remove. Uh, <laughs> The possibility. <laughs> no, thank you. Just... The vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah. It's even like if, you, if we're using the stab metaphor, it's like what hurts more than being stabbed is the fact that somebody did a stabbing. Yes. Yeah. I'd rather hurt myself than let it come from somewhere else. Right. But no, what really stands out to me, um, and I, I don't remember where... Uh, we talked about this, but it's something about like just uh, just agreeing to to say that I don't matter. Like, let's say a situation is hurting me. Like the the disturbing aspect of this is sort of self negating. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that yeah. that's going on. I could a lot of people see AIDS as this you know big uh, outward personality, but not recognizing that this is a self negation of saying that uh, I'm. I'm going to cut off this aspect of myself that could feel hurt. And um, it's kind of fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Just a bit. Well, and I, I also think that, like, I know that um, the common thing when people talk about their rejection types is to talk about each of them sort of offering something. And as John was describing, like, from their, um, their dominant center. And I guess my perspective is I think that that's true, but I think also they've made a tremendous sacrifice and that's part of what they're not going to articulate, but I think also is in that offering. It's like, see what I did. 
Mm. Mm. Offering is a good word in the rejection space. But I like that because, yeah, see what I did. There's like the replacement for the act, the this self seeing. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> just like yeah how's this landing Emika? um yeah like i i've thought of the ways that i've like i'm thinking of romantic situations and you guys have heard some stories i've shared of um you know seemingly entertaining stories of matched uh, like painful situations that i seem to <laughs> enjoy putting myself into and i'm recognizing how uh there's a pattern of not being able to register how I'm hurting myself or feeling hurt. It's almost like um, when it happens, it's like I'm watching it happen to someone else. And it doesn't, it, it sounds really fucked up um, because I'm actually being hurt, and it, but it doesn't actually land that, that that's happening. Um, and it's like almost like, Oh, I, I can rationalize it in so many different ways to say that this is just hilarious. The, this thing that's happening. Maybe I'm offering entertaining stories to my friends about some crazy shit that I got myself into. But um, it's almost like I'm not involved here. <laughs> it's like you yeah. know, I'm I'm pulling something out of it. It seems like I'm <laughs> offering something either to myself or to others about a, a fucked up situation that I have chosen to remain in. Um, so it's interesting to see the mental gymnastics that uh, how I'm convincing myself that I'm not being affected or that I'm yeah. not even involved in my own life. <laughs> I mean, that, that tracks with uh, eight and one as and nine as all three forms of dissociation. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's I guess it's really hitting me how self negating that is like there's an element of self deletion that's going on. And I, I didn't really. Uh, I didn't really feel that fully until now. <laughs> Thanks, Courtney. Yeah, Courtney. <laughs> Thanks for ruining my life. <laughs> yeah, I was like playing with like like different visual images for all of these, like which we can sort of like get into, but like kind of like a yin and a yang of like one side is your heart and the other, which is the nurturing. And then the other side is, you know, the, the guidance function and both of those, you need those two things to kind of, you know, create this, the fully formed ego. And for the frustration types, they're all kind of anemic because they were sort of, whichever one has been wounded is kind of anemic because it was developed on its own. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, you know, it's there, but it's not, you know, it, it's kind of fragile. Mm -hmm. and I'll talk about the attachment types later, but it's like for the rejection types, they've just lopped off one side altogether. <laughs> um, so wait, wait, does that mean with five, they just amputated both? Yes. Jesus wow. fucking Christ. <laughs> that is fucked up, man. <laughs> they struggle with functioning in the world. <laughs> It is amputated both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Screw this. <laughs> that didn't even, even make any sense. No. <laughs> That's where it gets similar to four. So then you have to go yeah. further inside, right? It's all yeah. going to be, or 
or somehow in some kind of uh, depth um, space around information or yeah theoretical so, stuff or, yeah so they have to get it away from the world and self becomes abstracted right theoretical self yeah if they could be code they would <laughs> right <laughs> yeah oh, i mean man. right this really opens up the types in a way that that um like you can just see you can see the the function of the sort of house how it's built yeah um especially for four and five just like picturing not having either of those functions and, and feeling like you can't even get it from the world that really um illustrates the the whole sort of separation aspect of those two types mm -hmm. i mean you can sort of like conceptually say oh yeah four and five are separation types that we're trying to push away but you don't know why like this really illustrates mm -hmm. why yeah. that's happening and I, the other thing I was going to say is like just hearing Emika, you talk about your own experiences. Like I thought what John said about his sort of automated habitual reaction to kind of like give up on the relationship too early or to assume it's doomed or, you know, whatever, you know, like the equivalent for the eight is to assume it, to be in this, I don't, to be in this relationship, to be in a relationship, I have to deny being hurt ever. And I have to deny, deny caring about that. That self-sacrifice is built into every relationship and it has in a habitual automated way. Mm. Yeah. 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 Hmm. yeah it, it feels like, just thinking back to some of my romantic episodes, it feels like, um, I don't want to say that I, I can't be hurt, but that's, that, that's what it ends up becoming. Like it, doesn't feel like anything that's happening can affect me, even though it is, or if it is affecting me, it doesn't register. I mean, of mm -hmm. course that's a lie, but it's, it's, it feels like I should be able to take or handle, um, or I feel like I'm capable of handling whatever is happening, but that what, what, what is going on is that I, I am self-negating, completely deleting any aspect of my humanness, you know, like my ability to, to actually, be hurt that's crazy <laughs> just just like talking through that yeah <laughs> they're all crazy yeah all of them yeah yeah i hope people get like into this kind of shit because um like people get so stuck on typing and and so confused and and if you get really deep into each type it's like completely different universes mm. and it's hard to get confused once you understand like how these types yeah. are working like so I hope people get into this stuff because I, I get tired of talking about typing because it's it's such a surface level. Like you can render the typing question useless or not important if you get deep enough. Um, yeah. So it's I hope people get into this kind of stuff because the types become super clear. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think also like just for my own self, like as I've been like doing some of this thinking and it's really opened up how I understand some of the things that I do now that I've thought more about attachment. And instead of like being like, oh, you know, I just like mentally like went through like everyone who like everyone in my family to like think about what they were going to say or what, I, you know, about what I'm about to do here. Like instead of just like saying like, God, I just did that again. Like now I have a better sense of why I'm doing that. And I can sort of say, oh, there I go again. I know why I'm doing this. Like yeah. I can and like go back to the original wound 
the original thing I'm trying to solve instead of being like annoyed or just trying to change the behavior. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I wish, I hope that eventually, because when you come into the Enneagram, what you're presented with is, you know, the, the list of traits and, and that's not helping anybody. I don't really, th- I think this is what I wished I would have learned like the deep psychological dynamics early on, because you can work with that. You can actually do something with that and you can have some compassion on yourself um, as to like what's actually going on versus this sort of like egoic um, identification game that we end up playing with type descriptions, but it's like, that's not helping anyone. So I I wished I would have known this kind of stuff this clearly earlier because it really, it really makes your type. um, You really know like the, the root of it, like what, is driving the whole thing. And that's more important than any fucking description. Makes it 3D versus just a 2D fucking fly yeah. description. Yeah. Let's um, let's go into two and then five. Okay. Um, so I'll set up two. On the flip side of eight, two is a rejection type, but um, they reject or feel rejected by uh, the protective function. And so part of what's going on with two is there is a sense that my independence, my autonomy, uh, I can't, uh, my uh, self-will is amputated. It's, it's, I can't have those things and, and have the connection and have the place in the world that I want. And so I feel like those things have to be severed and that my personality becomes organized around relationships and providing that nurturing function and identifying with it and and being that for other people, but at the cost of feeling like I can be myself fully and be be of myself and for myself. And so um, part of pride is an element of this or a result of this self-amputation, right? Because it's like, to be the protective function, or the, excuse me, to be, to be the nurturing function and offer that for people, I need to be this loving, you know, good, um, all, all positive motivations person. And pride is overlooking where a lot of my motivations might be more self-interested or complex or just human uh, because I have to be an angel. I can't be human. I have to be an angel. Yeah. I think it's like a good like contrast in terms of it's sort of like the blueprint, right? Like for, which is what we said at the beginning, the blueprint for how each of these types sort of understands and reacts in relationship, um, how the personality uh, understands, makes sense, and reacts in relationship. Um, that's blueprinted from these very early interactions, basically. And with the two, you know, he's standing up, he's trying to take his steps towards the doll, and the dad is not there to cheer him on. And the toddler says, you're right. I don't need to go for that truck anyway, or that doll anyway. Who needs to be out in the world? I agree. They crawl right back up, right? Like into a merged state. And they basically agree to suffer the wound, the sacrifice of, I will not venture out into this world because as I understand relationship, if I do, I will be acknowledging the failure of this relationship. And I, and I'm not going to do that. It risks failing and it, it risks failure of relationship 
for me to try to go out on my own and to acknowledge that that's a fundamental part of being human. And I would, and that I'm going to, you're not helping me with it. So I would rather suffer the wound of not doing that in the first place, rather than have to try to do it and acknowledge that you're letting me down. So two, just go the other direction. Yeah. And it's, it's the same thing where it's like, it's like a little, like, what matters more than anything is the sense of being merged, right? And the sense of being seen and to, to, to venture out into the other world means, it, and to continue to do it over and over again, knowing you're going to be wounded, that puts that at risk, right? That puts that sense of merged state at risk. And so they just lop it off. And that's how they understand they have to function in relationships in order to preserve the relationship. So aren't they kind of becoming the mother and being mothers everywhere kind of? And so they're as opposed, which is a private sort of endeavor, as opposed to the sort of father world going out into the world. Is that kind of what you're putting those as poles, yes. so to speak? Yes, no. yes. They're prioritizing the feeling of love and the feeling of connection, not in a nine way kind of connection, but a heart and lean into that, forget that the others, like deliberately forget that the other stuff even matter. And to the extent that they have to still do that stuff, they're going to be constantly checking back in, right? On the status of the relationship, because they've set it up that you, Mm. when you go out in the world, it's synonymous with you're displaying relational failure. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of proving the power or the, you know, the, the effectiveness of love to themselves, sounds mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. So does that mean that twos can't, like, share because they can't have someone else going out into the world because that's demonstrating the failure of their relationship? Share what? Like, share the other person. That they're in a relationship with. I might have just totally missed what you said, but. (laughs) There's a specialness that they're trying to create. So there's a non-sharing aspect, yeah. I mean, that's part of the the love because it's not just love. It's special, special, super, super special love. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) Right? Uh, It's amplified, right? Well, uh, and the thing for both the eight and two in opposite directions is if you basically think of both of them like walking around with half a body, yeah. that yeah. that remaining half becomes pretty fucking important because it's, it's all they it's all they have. Yeah. And so anything that is at all a perceived threat to that is really going to be blown up much larger than it, it's. They're going to be very sensitive to that and attach, like feel a crisis and feel threat to that be more sensitive to it because they're standing on one leg. Mm-hmm. And then fives just have no legs. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh man. <laughs> and that's part of also why the the you know sort of the manipulation and the selfishness and the like sort of the hyper giving of the two when really it's sort of about their own, you know, image and self-understanding. That's part of what you can kind of capture in the flavor of that, like, because it's really about their own survival, um, as opposed to like a secure, 
you know, like a, a, what you would call like sort of a secure relationship where, you know, like you give and take and if it works, it works. If it doesn't, if you're sad, it'll be okay. Like all of those sort of like normal things that like, I mean, none of us have, but like you sort of hope that you have in a, in a normal relationship. That's not going to be possible if the only way to the two understands life is through and their way to exist is through a feeling of love and extra special merging. Cool. Well, anything else on the two before we go to five? I don't think so.